Hello, welcome to the On-Call Consults in Less Than 10 Minutes series on ENT in a Nutshell, a compliment to Headmere's online survival guide. I'm your host, Michael Armstrong, and today we are joined by Dr. Matthew Carlson, a board-certified neurootologist and skull-based surgeon. In this episode, we will cover the acute management of malignant otitis externa. Let's jump right in. Malignant otitis externa, sometimes referred to as necrotizing otitis externa or temporal bone osteomyelitis, represents an aggressive form of otitis externa that occurs almost exclusively in immunocompromised or diabetic patients. Classic findings include pain out of proportion to exam and granulation tissue at the osteocartilaginous junction of the ear canal. Similar to uncomplicated acute otitis externa, the most common pathogen is Pseudomonas, followed by Staphylococcus species. Spread of the infection along the skull base can lead to cranial nerve paresis, predominantly affecting the facial nerve, bony erosion, and intracranial spread leading to complications such as meningitis, abscess, and venous sinus thrombosis. The long-term prognosis of this disease is variable, and it carries a 10 to 20% mortality rate. However, patients with a reversible underlying disease state such as diabetes typically have an improved prognosis if managed appropriately. This episode will focus on etiology, diagnosis, and acute management of malignant otitis externa. For a more comprehensive review of this disorder and overlapping conditions, the interested listener may access our separate podcast entitled Acute, Chronic, and Malignant Otitis Externa on headmirror.com. Dr. Carlson, can you tell us about the differential diagnosis, including can't-miss diagnoses for malignant otitis externa? Yeah, so when we're talking about malignant otitis externa in the differential diagnosis, we're typically thinking about conditions that present with inflammation of the external ear and ear canal. So with that in mind, we will be considering uncomplicated acute or chronic otitis externa, chronic otitis media with a draining perforation, acute otitis media with perforation, external auditory canal or temporal bone malignancy, and most commonly that would be a squamous cell or basal cell carcinoma, ear canal foreign body, external auditory canal or middle ear cholesteatoma, CSF leak, auricular cellulitis or perichondritis, dermatologic conditions affecting the ear canal, most commonly psoriasis or eczema, and osteoradionecrosis of the temporal bone. What are some risk factors for malignant otitis externa? So by far and away, the most important risk factor is an immunocompromised state. Elderly patients with poorly controlled diabetes are at highest risk, but also patients with HIV, AIDS, and pharmacological immunosuppression, such as with chemotherapy or autoimmune therapy, and myeloid malignancies are also notable risk factors. Trauma is is often a secondary uh, risk factor, so a patient may have an underlying driving predisposition based on uh, being immunocompromised, but they might have a secondary event such as trauma from a Q-tip, foreign body, barotrauma, water exposure, hearing aid use, or something else that kind of tips them over the edge. Additional risk factors include frequent repetitive water exposure or a person with a prior radiation to to the temporal bone or head. How do patients with malignant otitis externa typically present? So classically, they'll present with severe otalgia out of proportion to exam, otorrhea, ear fullness, hearing loss most commonly conductive in nature, cranial nerve paralysis, and most commonly facial nerve paralysis itself is relatively a more relative late finding but can be present. Meningeal signs and symptoms including headache, photophobia, and nucorigidity again might be present in more advanced cases. What are some key aspects of the history one should focus on when seeing a patient with malignant otitis externa? So when you're evaluating the patient, you can. there's multiple things that you should look at, whether it's unilateral or, or bilateral. If it's bilateral, you might think of a more, uh, more of a dermatologic condition rather than malignant otitis externa. You can ask about the timing and rate of progression. 
associated symptoms, and specifically if they have the symptoms we described earlier, hearing loss, ear fullness, otorrhea, cranial nerve symptoms, pain. Um, you do want to ask about risk factors, and in particular, if they have diabetes or if they have an immunocompromised state. And inquire about typical resting glucose levels and hemoglobin A1C values, if available. You can ask about a history of similar events in the past, history of prior ear surgery, including known perforation, a history of other non-melanoma skin cancers, and associated symptoms, dizziness, craniopathy, fever, photophobia, altered mental status, diplopia, aphasia, dysarthria, headache, lethargy, or other symptoms uh, suggestive of a progressive neurological process. What are some supplies you might need for a malignant otitis externa consultation? Uh, so you'll want to bring appropriate PPE, including ma- uh, mask, eye protection, gloves and gown, an otoscope or a microscope, better yet, if available, a cerumen curette, a culture swab, earwick with alligator forceps or cup forceps, and if you're pl- uh, likely to be cleaning ear debris, which is very likely in this case if you think it's malignant otitis externa, ideally you'll do this under an operating microscope. Uh, loops are, a, are um, a potential option, but again, an operating microscope is better. You'll want to have an assortment of speculum sizes uh, for ear speculums, three to five generally, in straight suctions with a suction source. Can you describe what a, a good physical examination would look like for these patients? Of course. So we will always say start with the comprehensive head and neck examination, but in this context, we're going to be focusing on the ear and cranial base. So you'll look at the state of the skin surrounding the ear, whether or not there's any fluctuance, um, chondritis, parotid swelling, pain. You'll look at otoscopic examination of the ear canal, tympanic membrane, and middle ear. You look for key features on acute otitis externa versus a malignant otitis externa. Acute otitis externa often has pain with posterior superior manipulation of the auricle and tragal manipulation and narrowed ear canal. Those symptoms can also be present with malignant otitis externa, but malignant otitis externa classically at least has, uh, is, has a higher risk of having exposed bone or granulation tissue at the osteocardinalaginous junction, pain, and then of course you want to look for cranial neuropathy with particular attention to the seventh nerve. You'll want to debride the ear canal or clean it out as best possible. And if you can, inspect the tematic membrane and middle ear for myringitis, otitis media, perforation, cholestetoma, or ear canal or middle ear mass. You can also look for black or white dry hyphae, which may be suggestive of a fungal otitis externa. You'll want to perform a full cranial nerve examination with particular attention to the facial nerve and the lower cranial nerves. And you'll want to perform a 512 hertz tuning fork examination to look for conductive versus mixed versus sensory neural hearing loss. Are there additional diagnostic studies that should be considered after obtaining a history and physical examination? If you're considered about, uh, with malignant otitis externa, it's very valuable to obtain cultures of the ear canal, both bacterial and fungal, to guide medical therapy. Laboratory tests include CBC, CMP, CRP, ESR, blood cultures, and a hemoglobin A1C. Specifically, the ESR may be useful to follow treatment response and potential recurrence. A temporal bone CT scan is probably the most useful first-line test in cases of suspected malignotitis externa. Findings including bony erosion or abnormalities of soft tissue surrounding the skull base are suggestive. In most cases, an audiogram can't be obtained in the acute setting, and it doesn't need to be obtained unless there's evidence of persistent hearing loss after treatment. Although controversial, MRI with gadolinium has largely supplanted nuclear medicine scans, including gallium and technetium. Classically, technetium scans were used to make the initial diagnosis being sensitive to the beginning of, an, of a malignant otitis externa, 
but then gallium being used to follow the, the progress because technetium scans would often stay positive for extended periods of time, even with improvement. And then, of course, as a general rule, any chronic drainage or presumed otitis externa of any sort that does not readily respond to um, conventional therapies, you should have a high suspicion for malignancy and a biopsy should be obtained relatively early on. Can you describe the acute treatment for malignant otitis externa? Ideally, you will reverse or address the underlying driving risk factor. So maybe perhaps if they have diabetes, you won't want to maintain tight glucose control. Or if you can reverse or suspend an immunosuppressive, that's, very, that's valuable as well. You'll want to debride the ear canal to aid in delivery of topical antibiotic therapy and maintain, maintain dry ear precautions. If the ear is overly stenotic or narrow, it may be best to place a wick for delivery of topical drops. You'll initiate empiric topical antibiotic therapy, such as ciprofloxacin, and adjust based on cultures once available. You'll also want to initiate empiric systemic antibiotic therapy with an oral fluoroquinolone or broad-spectrum antibiotic coverage. The decision between oral or intravenous therapy should be based on clinical severity, culture results, and also input from the infectious disease specialists. While controversial, hyperbaric oxygen therapy can be considered as an adjunct to medical therapy, Acute surgical treatment is generally reserved for cases of abscess formation or disease refractory to aggressive medical therapy. Can you tell us about the disposition and follow-up for these patients? Most patients with malignant otitis externa are admitted to the hospital for escalated care. Care with close coordination between otolaryngology and the infectious disease team and other relevant specialists, um, including perhaps an endocrinologist for diabetes control, is valuable. Prolonged culture-directed antimicrobial therapy is typically required for a minimum of six weeks or longer, and treatment should be generally continued until the clinical exam has improved or returned to normal, the patient's symptoms have improved, and imaging also corroborate an improvement. And finally, how should we counsel these patients at discharge? Close clinical follow-up with otolaryngology and an infectious disease is, is really important, and continued management of the underlying process that drove this originally, whether it be diabetes in our immunocompromised state, is also important to improve this condition. Well, thank you, Dr. Carlson, for your time. That concludes our episode on malignant otitis externa. 